Susie Coker and I are driving around the North Upper Truckee neighborhood in South Lake Tahoe. We've stopped in front of a giant two-story cabin. The word monstrosity comes to mind. This one? <laughs> it's huge, isn't it's it? Super, yeah. It's lovely, isn't it? Um, I would live there. I would live there. It does have a lot of mulch. See that? Right it up does, to the rock. Yeah. Susie's a forester in Tahoe at the University of California. I like to think of her as a fire readiness cop. Oh, and here's the other thing I don't like. Look, they have ornamental junipers. I know I'm sounding like a broken record here, but... But why plant a little bomb next to your house? Exactly. Junipers are highly flammable. They contain volatile oils and sap that can easily burst into flames. A house down the road was in a similar condition with juniper shrubs right next to its deck and a picture window. Susie says even if everything else at a home is fireproofed, these bushes could take the house down in a wildfire. So what I picture happening, the embers get trapped in that near-home vegetation, and because of the placement of the plants, underneath the wooden deck or underneath the fence, next to a fence, then slowly over time, they catch those wooden components on fire, and then there's no one here to put it out, and that heat either starts to build and catch the siding or breaks a picture window, and then the house burns from the inside out. More than 250 homes burned in the neighborhood during the Angora fire in 2007. Many have been rebuilt, but the fire scar is evident. Back then, that was a huge fire. But in recent history, there's been these big mega fires in California. And these fires have Tahoe locals worried about a giant blaze wiping out parts of their communities. So I think most homeowners have this concept that there's this wall of flame that comes and burns your house down and there's nothing you can do. But in fact, there's a lot you can do. Susie wanted to know how bad it is, so she developed a fire readiness rating system. She's applied it to more than 400 homes. Susie's brought me to another house that she thinks could withstand a fire. It's a red two-story with a few big pine trees in the yard. And in this case, it looks really good. Her test is pretty simple. Just by looking at a house, she can tell if it will make it in a forest fire. It's got a gravel within three feet of the house. And we found in the Angora fire that that really helped save a lot of homes. When she rates a house, these are some of the red flags. Trees too close to houses, roofs made of shingles, and wood fences touching homes. And when it comes down to it, Susie feels like Tahoe homeowners can do a lot better. Is Tahoe fire ready? <laughs> no. I'm not sure anywhere in the Sierra's fire ready. There's still a lot to treat in the forest, and there's still huge amounts of work that needs to be done to retrofit homes. I think after the campfire and the Santa Rosa fires, you know, it's really sinking in to most people in the Sierra Nevada. We're all feeling a little bit nervous and scared as the fire season comes forward this year. It's a dangerous situation, absolutely. These aren't just theories anymore. I don't want the snow to go away. Yes, Tahoe will change. I kind of feel like that endangered pika. Tahoe doesn't control climate change. It's a victim of it. From Capitol Public Radio, this is Tahoe Land. It had always snowed by the third weekend in September, but that doesn't happen anymore. I want to see our forest restored so that Tahoe doesn't burn the way Paradise did. Chasing the snow is a huge part. It's about the lake. That's why everyone's here. There are a lot of green lakes. There aren't very many blue ones. I'm Ezra David Romero. There's one thing that levels the playing field in Lake Tahoe. 
It's fire, and it doesn't play favorites. The big fear is that a blaze the scale of the 2018 campfire in Paradise could happen in a place like Southlake, where around 23,000 people live. The difference between a place like Paradise and Tahoe is that on any given day in Tahoe, there could also be tens of thousands of tourists visiting around the lake. There's a lot being done in Tahoe when it comes to wildfires, including a system of cameras around the lake that serve as digital lookouts. They've prevented dozens of fires from getting out of control. There's also a new multi-agency action plan with high-level guidelines and recommendations. Yet Tahoe remains vulnerable. There are huge parts of the forest and hundreds of homes that need cleaning up. And then there's this residents that don't want to cut trees down or clear their properties. They want to keep that woodsy, outdoorsy feel. But just one fire getting out of control could destroy the Tahoe we know today. Welcome to Tahoe Land. Uh, get a report of a possible spot fire in the area of Gold Dust and Jackalillo area. Matt and Kathy Duggan just got a notice to evacuate. Okay, but I don't think we're supposed to leave until this is mandatory. Okay. Right? Their vacation house is in the South Lake Tahoe neighborhood of Golden Bear. Right, have the map. It only has one way in and one way out. In an emergency like a fire, it can be difficult to evacuate. Our data reporter, Emily Zetner, was with the Duggans during the recent evacuation drill. They were on their way to the safe zone a few miles away. There was no fire on the horizon this time. This is only a drill. Residents of the Golden Bear Tract only are requested to prepare for a voluntary evacuation. Matt and Kathy have owned their vacation home in Golden Bear since 2013. And they vacationed in Tahoe for years before that. So fire has always been in the back of their minds. But since the campfire in Butte County last year, they've been more and more concerned. The one way out of the neighborhood and that one road about a mile away is, that's concerning to me. And I can easily picture somehow the fire not being right at this house, but down there. And so and then you have a bunch of people trapped inside this, this neighborhood. We eventually made it to the safe zone. That's where I talked with Patty Asiag and Donna Ray Reynolds, who organized this whole drill with the Tahoe Fuels and Fire team. That's a multi-agency collaboration involving a lot of fire groups around the lake. Yeah, and these two women, they're super passionate about getting their neighborhood fire ready. They totally are. And this drill is just the first step. Here's Donna Ray. We love it up here, but there are a lot of things that we can do to become better prepared. There are more things that we can do besides being being prepared ourselves. You have to kind of be proactive. You have to have a plan. You have to... to Prepare yourself ahead of time for anything. It could be a flood, of a tornado, of fire. But this drill wasn't just about practicing how to evacuate. It was about getting in people's minds that fire is a reality. Lake Valley Fire Chief Tim Alameda has a simple way to remember what to do when a fire is on its way. We want our communities to be what we refer to as being fire adaptive, that they understand ready, set, go. Get ready, get set, and when the time comes, if you need to leave, leave. Emily, did they make any changes after the practice evacuation? Well, Cal Fire came through to check the neighborhood after the drill, and Golden Bear did really well. Of the more than 300 homes in the neighborhood, 
96% meet CAL FIRE defensible space requirements. That's really remarkable for a neighborhood of that size. But not everyone wants to cut down the trees around their house. It's a tough pill to swallow for the Duggins. I gotta say, a lot of the reason I like the area and this house and this lot are the trees that are close by. It really feels in the forest, and that's that's the danger, that's the trade-off. But I don't want to cut down those trees and then be living on a bare lot. So I guess that's just the risk I take. But it sounds like the drill was a success. Patty, Donna Ray, and the Tahoe Fuels and Fire team definitely think so. They've planned a few other drills since, and they want to keep doing events like this to help other neighborhoods adapt to the growing threat of wildfire. There's all this emphasis on making Tahoe fire ready, because just one ember could grow into a huge blaze. Someone who knows a lot about this is Chris Anthony. He's the Cal Fire Division Chief for the South Lake Tahoe area. The unprecedented is just becoming the norm. You know, the 3,000 acre fire that destroys two or 300 homes hardly even makes a new cycle now. Whereas 20 years ago, that was a major fire in California that got a lot of people's attention. High fire risk is an issue in California and the entire country. Chris says warming climates and their impact on fire severity is like a change in temperature in our bodies. You know, our body temperature, well, it's 98.6 degrees, right? Well, imagine if every day it was 100.6 degrees. I think we would feel differently. And I think we would respond differently. And I I think that's why, you know, that little change in temperature really can have a big difference in the way that it impacts the environment that we live in. And weather really drives fire. He says the best example of how warming temperatures and weather interact is by looking at the car fire in Redding. That fire burned more than 1,000 homes in 2018. When that fire moved into Redding, it formed a fire tornado that moved into Redding. I mean, 136 to 165 miles an hour. On that particular day in Redding, it was 113 degrees, the highest temperature recorded in, in Redding. We saw things we've, we've never seen before. I mean, that fire tornado was the largest tornado ever recorded in California's history. He says the issue in the Sierra is that there are just too many trees, and many of them are dead as a byproduct of California's recent five-year drought. He says there's more than 147 million dead trees across the Sierra Nevada. What it shows is that our forests right now are not as resilient as they need to be to the climate that we're seeing change. And whether that's wildfire, whether that's insects, whether that's disease, whether that's drought, we have to change the way that we're managing our forests because as the climate continues to change, we're going to see those direct impacts just like we're seeing like right now. He hopes to see a change. Instead of fire prevention that just focuses on communities, he wants huge patches of forest treated all at once. Treatment can mean removing trees or burning parts of the forest on purpose to remove brush. There are projects like this in the works. The biggest is on the west side of the lake. Its goal is to restore 60,000 acres of forest. Chris is part of a multi-agency team that is thinking about the forest in this way. He is making maps of each section around the lake that show what's been treated and what hasn't. These pre-attack plans are supposed to inform everyone about what's fire-ready and what's not. 
And he admits there's still a lot to do. We're still working on it. I don't think we can ever just like sit back and say we're good. Just because an area was treated, if it was treated 20 or 30 years ago, it, we need to go back in and treat it again. You know, forests grow, brush comes up. Um, it is a constant process. Let's bring Emily back to talk about some of the data she's collected about wildfires in the Lake Tahoe Basin. Hey, Emily. Hey, Ezra. So most people know in the back of their minds that climate change is part of what's causing these big fires in California and around the world. But what's actually happening? All right. Let me teach you about something called the climatic water deficit. Well, here you go again with these big scientific (laughs) words per usual. What does that mean? So it is a big scientific term and it sounds really confusing. But basically, in a perfect world, there would be a certain amount of moisture in the ground, and it would evaporate and transpire into the atmosphere. The climatic water deficit is a measure of how far away from that perfect world we are now. So what is it like, lost potential? Exactly. There's a demand for evaporation in the ecosystem, and the climatic water deficit tells us how much of that demand isn't being met by the moisture we actually have in the soil. We're looking at how much the potential evapotranspiration exceeds the actual evapotranspiration. I like that word. I think I learned it in like 10th grade. (laughs) But what does it mean for wildfires? Well, if the ecosystem is trying to suck more water out of the soil than is available, that stresses the soil, right? It means that we have really dry soils because every bit of that moisture is being used to meet this demand for evapotranspiration. That added stress on the forest means that trees are more susceptible to insects and disease. Enter the bark beetles, which ravaged trees during the drought, and also made trees more susceptible to wildfire because everything is so dry. And I expect you're going to bring some more doom and gloom here, right? Because you you haven't done that yet. (laughs) You know me so well. So you and I have talked a lot over the course of this podcast about this draft climate vulnerability assessment of the Lake Tahoe Basin, and it has some projections about how the climatic water deficit is going to change by the end of the century. In a more severe carbon emissions scenario, the climatic water deficit is expected to double in some parts of the Lake Tahoe Basin by the end of the century. In most parts of the basin, they project we'll see an increase of anywhere from 30 to 50 percent. And that means that the risk of wildfire in Tahoe is going to get greater and more intense, right? Exactly. I only have the data for the parts of Tahoe that are in California, but in those parts of the Tahoe Basin, the fire danger is considered very high by CAL FIRE. There are a couple places more down towards the south shore where it's a little bit lower, but for the most part, you see that highest fire danger ranking throughout the areas around the lake. I learned all of this from some really interesting map data that KQED data reporter Lisa Pickoff-White shared with me. Well, as usual, our chat ends with me more worried than when we started. Thanks for dropping some knowledge on us, Emily. Thanks, Ezra. Judy Tornis is really worried about fire danger in Tahoe. She has a second home on the west side of the lake in a community called Tahoma. The forested neighborhood is sandwiched between steep slopes and a two-lane highway. She's walking me around the house. I love the trees, but I don't want them to um, cause any problems. No fires, please. 
I mean, it looks like you guys have cleared a lot of stuff out yeah, here. Yeah, we did. We cleared it. See, now this is all new stuff that just fell in the last week because we, we just got here. Judy's husband built the cabin in 1968. Back then, it had a shingle roof, which they've replaced with a composite one to make it less flammable. They split their time between Tahoe and the Bay Area. But no matter if she's in Tahoe or not, she has a big fear. The worst thing would be to have a fire emergency on a July 4th weekend. Even when we came in just now from Tahoe City, the backup was at least a mile or two. Bumper to bumper, cars, traffic, waiting to go through Tahoe City. That's not uncommon, and this is not a busy weekend. I wouldn't even want to think about what would happen if there were an emergency, a fire emergency. I think there'd be, pa there'd be panic for sure. It could be very ugly. Judy's neighborhood is surrounded by forest. She says it's not a matter of if there will be a fire, but when it will ignite. One thing that people are really concerned about is how are we going to get out of here with a two-lane highway? How can you get out safely? There's just not a lot of exits to get out of the area in an emergency. Two-lane highways with no exits. There's tons of spots like this around the lake. And even though there's a lot of work being done to prevent and prepare for wildfires, I get the sense from everyone I spoke with that a lot more needs to happen. And like our last episode, the takeaway is simple. Everyone needs to do their part to make Tahoe fire ready. It can't just be the Forest Service or the fire agencies. Homeowners have to be responsible so they won't lose their cabin or vacation getaway. Because if a fire sparks nearby, well, some neighborhoods are just really vulnerable. So during my reporting, I chatted with dozens of Tahoe locals who say they are taking action to protect the environment. And I noticed a pattern, something that was motivating all of them. They said one of their Congress members doesn't believe that humans are contributing to climate change. I was just kind of angry. I mean, it's his job to represent us and the needs of the district and the people. That can't be just ignoring what is obviously a massive problem. The intersection of climate change and politics is a real dividing issue, even in Tahoe, where many residents vote for Republicans who don't embrace climate change policies. So next episode, we'll interview that congressman and explore the politics of climate change. And as always, don't forget to stick around after the credits for our Tahoe tidbit. This time, it's on the very real fire threat at some of the Sierra Nevada's highest peaks. Tahoe Land is edited by Nick Miller. Sally Schilling is our podcast producer. Our digital editor is Chris Hagen. Emily Zentner is Tahoe Land's data reporter. Casey Sycamore is collecting your questions about Tahoe and answering them. Our website is built by Renee Thompson, Veronica Nagy, and Katie Kidwell. Linnea Edmeyer is the executive editor. Joe Barr is our chief content officer. And our associate producer is Gabriela Fernandez. We want to give a special shout out to our events guru here at the station. Thank you to Sheena Brito for all your work. Our music is by artist Charles I. He's from Tahoe. To make sure you don't miss any episodes, subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. Check out our website, capradio.org slash Tahoeland, for videos, photos, additional stories, and more. I'm Ezra David Romero. Thanks for listening to Tahoeland from Capital Public Radio.
So just west of Lake Tahoe is another jewel in the sky, Desolation Wilderness. My name is Nick Meller and I'm the editor of Tahoe Land. Desolation is this 64,000 acre slice of pure Sierra Nevada outdoors. We're talking miles of trails, including some of the Pacific Crest Trail. Close your eyes and envision long treks over bedrock granite, beautiful Tahoe vistas, and pristine alpine lakes. It's late in the afternoon and I'm descending into desolation after taking a moment to really just enjoy the vista from Maggie's Peak. But the threat of wildfire is very real in desolation, even though there was a ton of snow when I visited recently in August. And frankly, it's pretty cold up here. I mean, we're at more than 9,000 feet elevation. And between you and me, I didn't pack the right clothing, but we're having a great time. I ran into wilderness ranger Courtney Reitzel at Dick's Lake. She works for the Tahoe Basin Management Unit, and she says not to be fooled by all the snow and rushing water. I mean, yes, the water is still flowing and the lakes are high, but there's still eminent fire danger in this area because we have not had a good rainfall at this elevation for probably over two months. Part of a ranger's job is to prevent stuff that leads to forest fires. And Courtney says she sees hikers and campers doing all kinds of strange things that might accelerate fire danger. Camping on an island, having a fire on said island, and leaving trash on said island, and then having us to like figure out how to get all of that out. Um, I mean, we no no and we've had issues with people bringing skateboards in the wilderness and like trying to skateboard and do weird stuff like that when i was leaving desolation i could hear the winds pick up and i started wondering to myself is all of this gonna be here the next time when i come back for tahoe land i'm nick miller